stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Well, good morning, beloved, and welcome today to Bible study time here with Rick Bonson Ministries. I'm Gene Thomas, and I welcome you aboard today as we sail out into the deep waters of the book of Titus in the Bible and continue our lesson through the work of St. Paul and the Apostle Titus. We're going to learn about how we ought to be with older men and older women and younger men, even slaves, how we ought to be obedient to the master. We'll hear about this as we read. And let, let me do just that now. Let me read from Titus chapter 2, which we're going to uh, cover today. Titus chapter 2. But as for you, <clears throat> speak up for the right living that goes along with true Christianity. Teach the older men to be serious and unruffled. They must be sensible, knowing and believing the truth and doing everything with love and patience. Treat the older women to be quiet and respectful in everything they do. They must not go around speaking evil of others. They must not be heavy drinkers, but they should be teachers of goodness. These older women must train the younger women to live quietly, to love their husbands and their children, to be sensible and clean-minded, spending their time in their own homes, being kind and obedient to their husbands, so that the Christian faith can't be spoken against by those who know them. In the same way, urge the young men to behave carefully, taking life seriously. And here you yourself must be an example to them of good deeds of every kind. Let everything you do <clears throat> reflect your love of the truth. And the fact that you are in dead earnest about it, your conversation should be so sensible and logical that anyone who wants to argue will be ashamed of themselves because there won't be anything to criticize in anything you say. Urge slaves to obey their masters and to try their best to satisfy them. They must not talk back nor steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy. In this way, they will make people want to believe in our Savior and God. For the free gift of eternal salvation is now being offered to everyone. And along with this gift comes the realization that 
God wants us to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures and to live good, good God-fearing lives day after day. Looking forward to that wonderful time we've been expecting when his glory shall be seen. The glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He died under God's judgment against our sins so that he could rescue us from constant falling into sin and make us his very own people with cleansed hearts, real enthusiasm for doing kind things for others. You must teach these things. Encourage your people to do them. Correcting them when necessary as one who has every right to do so. Don't let anyone think that what you say is not important. <clears throat> there ends the lesson, red lesson for the day. And we turn now to the text itself and we take a, a look at it for a moment from a little bit of higher altitude here. Look down on this entire little document dropped before us. It is laden with admonitions about church administration. We must remember that Titus is a apostle to a country, the country of Crete. Crete was a part of Greece. There's an island in the Mediterranean, a large island. But it stood alone because it was 200 miles from, from Athens and from the shoreline of Greece. His culture was, background history was different from mainland Greece. Titus was sent there by the Apostle Paul to get things into shape. Now we don't know what it was like too much about what it was like before he got there, but we can conjecture fairly fairly easily that Cretans took Christianity from the first council in Jerusalem the Holy Spirit in the second chapter of Acts mentions Cretans as I said last week but I've just got to bring you to date here the Cretans Christians so called went back to the island and the good news of Jesus spread all over that island so that Timothy, not Timothy, Titus was sent there to bring some, some sense of stability to it. And so, and he was a church administrator. These things here that he mentions are moralizations and so forth. But at the root of this is an attempt to bring administrative order to the churches, and he does so. We don't have a written thing in the Bible to tell us that he did so, but 
church tradition holds that he in fact was able to accomplish that task of assimilating leadership on the island of Crete. His relics are there, his skull and other matters pertaining to his life are there, his history is there, his tradition is there. And church administration is important. And we must not overlook it going running through this text uh, and kind of cherry-picking verses because overall you can sense that this man, Paul, writing to Titus, is encouraging something that he was an expert at. He was good at it. St. Paul founded and sustained churches all over creation by eliciting the aid of good church leaders. And Titus was one of them. And Titus brought these little churches together. Now, dare I say, into a connection. They all began to see above themselves. A house church in Heraklion perhaps would see another one on another side of the island and never knew they existed until Titus went from one to the other saying to them, we are all brothers, sisters in the Lord. The old men, the old women, the young men, yes, even the slaves, we are all one with Christ Jesus. So he brought a sense of unity to the churches of the island. Once they were unified and administratively, he was able to inject the words of wisdom from Paul pertinent to what we're reading in this text today. So I hope that background is helpful to you. The next time you think of the pastoral epistles, Remember that, that behind them is the idea that a church is to be administrated properly and that they're looking for a sense of unity between them. It'll explain a lot of verses. In seminary, pastors are taught by classroom experience church administration. Church administration should be on a uh, resume of a pastor who should have studied this in seminary. It, it, takes, it takes a whole year or more to just get a cursory examination of what it takes to administer a church properly. Has to do with money, has to do with finances, has to do with how people come together, why they come together. He said, oh, it's a, it's a difficult class, but it's important. And this is the same sense is back of this, a, a, a leader trying to pass on to a follower the necessity of church administration, which that follower then passes on to his people and his leaders in this church in Crete. <clears throat> They have to learn how to 
deal with arguments. You notice in, in the pastoral epistles frequently they talk about that a little bit, about how we ought not to bicker with one another and, and all of that. And of course, you have to get to a point where you can see that on both sides of an argument, particularly in a Christian church, usually there are good intentions. And so a good church administrator is going to recognize that right from the get-go. Not going to choose sides. You know, say, well, this side is right and that side is wrong and that side is wrong and this side is right. No, they're going to learn that both sides of the argument generally have good intentions. See? So you, uh, as a church administrator, as a church leader, are equipped and able to bring those together. Bring them together to each other and to affirm the good side of the argument that both of them are making. It works not only in church administration, it also works in church counseling, which is another subject. He's not trained in pastoral counselors yet, I don't think, but he is indeed working on this broader theme of administering the church. <coughs> so, let me go through some of the things that are really important passed along here in the lesson. One is the idea of sobriety. Frequently, Paul warns against uh, intoxication of various kinds of wine. He talks about that. But, but the roots of that in Greek have to do with self-control and temperance. Uh, so that sobriety is being sober and temperate in life. It may mean, you know, the absence of alcohol. It may mean that, but at the same time, it means you got to take care. You got to control yourself. You got to have a sense of self-control, or you won't be healthy. And that, that's another concept that, that underneath this stuff is to be healthy. Healthy in, the, in two, one, healthy teachers and students have a, a, a sound curriculum of doctrine. They had it. And they had it verbally. <coughs> they spoke it. They, they couldn't, many of them couldn't read and write. And sometimes they spoke uh, languages that were hard for each brother to understand. So they repeated it. It was a creedal kind of a church, I believe. Creedal statements were made. They'd stand up and they'd hold forth. I believe in you know, God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. You've done that in church sometimes. Call that a creed. It goes on, talks about Jesus, talks about Mary. Talks, and, and, you know, it's, it's boom. Like you learn it and you, you say it in your sleep. And in fact, in church sometimes, even today, you can look at a congregation and you'll see people who just have memorized the Apostles' Creed right down to the ground. They know every word in it. Well, that's a church person. I'm not God, man. You, then you're dealing with somebody that, I don't know whether they know the Bible or not, but they know that creed well enough to repetitiously and proudly say it with their hymnal pressed to their chest, not reading it. But saying it out loud, you know, looking around to see if anybody, it's a, it's a 
I think I, I heard a, a preacher say one time that when he went to a, a new church, he made them all stand up and say the Apostles' Creed, and he just watched them. And he said he could tell who the serious church people were by the repetition of the Apostles' Creed. If people were stumbling over it, didn't know what to do with it, they, they probably weren't as, as, as devoted as some of those that did. I don't know, but I think that's a possibility for consideration. I know when I was in seminary, for a while I was in a Baptist seminary, in a room full of Baptist men uh, studying to be preachers. I was the only Methodist in there. And <clears throat> you know that we, we from the cradle, uh, have the Apostles' Creed every Sunday. You can't get out of there without having to stand up and say that thing. And we would say it, you know, and I didn't realize the value of it until the professor in the Baptist seminary turned on the student body and said, what is it that you believe? He knew full well that I was uh, in there, and he knew full well that I was a Methodist. And he looked me square in the face in that classroom full of Baptist preachers and said, what do you believe? And I just held forth with the Apostles' Creed, like somebody who'd been shot with a rifle. But I believe in God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord. And we're all right on down through that thing, you know. And the professor, I'll never forget what he said. He said, look, men, look. Look, men, look. He may not believe what he's saying, but he's saying what it is he ought to believe. So that was a lesson then for me. Of course, I made all the Baptist brothers mad at me after that. They didn't go out and learn the Apostles' Creed either, but they came to the realization that, that sometimes, sometimes old things are good things. Old things are good things, and this old thing is a good thing. Particularly these verses which we're, we're studying together. I just love to think about these older men. He wants them to be grave and honest. Sense of maturity about them. Steady in their faith, love, and patience. I can't tell you in church work how many older men have made an impact on me has been unforgettable. Every church has got some old man in it who is wise. But normally they wind up with holding the money bag. I mean, <laughs> you wind up being the treasurer or something. Full of uh, wisdom and mature. You know, they don't get all insane every five minutes and, and all. They're just very steady. They'll come to church every Sunday in the middle of a snowstorm, they'll be there turning the lights on. But the same is true of women. I've known so many faithful old women. Just ancient days, you know, 90s, and some could hardly get to church. Couldn't hear. Couldn't. I, I was in a church up in the mountains one time. I had a church up there, and, uh, and a lady was uh, had come every Sunday and would look at me so sweetly. She'd been coming out. I'd been appointed there for, I don't know, three months or more. And we had, she's sitting there looking at me, you know. And one Sunday I, I, I walked up to her and I said something to her. And she didn't even know I was talking to her. Didn't know I was talking to her. And she, she said, oh, honey, she said, I can't hear. I'm just as deaf as a post. She said, I can't hear a thing. I can't hear a thing. But and she said to me, 
I don't know what you said, but I appreciate it anyways. <laughs> it didn't make no difference what I said, but what mattered was she was there. She was there every Sunday talking to her Lord Jesus, and I just was his old uh, attribute. <laughs> it didn't really matter, but, but it was a lesson. See, the qualities of maturity and older people that we need to remind ourselves of. I had a doctor of psychology one time, an older man, who just could read me like an open book and was so helpful to me in so many ways. But the women here, once again, are, seem to be hit on a little harder because the, the reason I think that that Middle Eastern thing where women are, just kind of handled roughly. And I think that's what happened here, that, that the, on the backs of the women is the teaching of this morality. So it's a pattern that, that they set, that the good works generate and bubble up from within femininity, un, uncorrupted, you know, full of integrity. That, that's what they're looking for. And with healthy thoughts, and that means logical, thinking logically about things. Now, uh, not sneaky, there's holes in there, but in good faith, to put in order or trim. That, that's what Titus is about. Not purloining, uh, which means kind of like sneaky, backbiting. But in good faith. In 2.11, the grace of God brings salvation. We jump over into this, what's called soteriology, a discussion of how it is that you get saved. Well, it's interesting here that in 2.11, the grace of God brings salvation. Salvation is from God, not from these good works they're talking about here. You don't get caught up in virtues and morality thinking that's going to save you. It's God's grace uh, or God's love that brings salvation. His death on the cross is what brings salvation. Hope in that is an aspiration. Uh, hoping is, is I don't, hoping is a, a difficult word to, to understand but a powerful word. The Hebrew says that, uh, Hebrew mind says that hope is the greatest of these. You know, where the Apostle Paul says, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. The Jew says, no, that's not so. Faith, hope, and love, true, but the greatest of these is hope. And that's because they have been through very, very difficult times as a race, uh, through Holocaust and so forth. The black experience is similar to that. Hope is so high on, on their love of the Lord. And, and their expectation of God. Hope, hope triumphs over everything because that's what matters, you see, that you hang on, hang in there. Looking for the advent of Jesus. Remembering, you know, this is a Maranatha church. They look for Jesus around every corner. He might come back tomorrow. He might come back any minute. So they are looking for the advent of Jesus. He, um, they are to be peculiar, which means special, special people, and have a gifted or burning 
to do the will and the work of God. And in the last verse, 215, let no one depreciate your authority. That's a significant verse there. You must teach these things. Encourage people when necessary as one who has every right to do so. And in the last sentence, don't let anyone think that what you say is not important. It's the way the living Bible puts it. However, it, in the Greek, it turns it around to make it authoritative, like to say, let no one put down who you are. Now, see, uh, Titus was uh, going around with this authority that the Apostle Paul had given him. He could talk directly to that. It's like a administrating based on hierarchical power that he received from Paul. So he could, I can see him talking to a crowd and saying, I, Paul told me this, and I'll tell you. It's just just like that. Just like it's just, I, Paul told me, i tell you, and then over on and on. So you, they weren't entitled to put him down for that, which is the first thing that some of them would probably want to do. Saying, oh, you don't know Paul. You, you, or to say, you ain't got no authority. You ain't nothing but a, I don't know what you are, but you don't come up here and tell us what to do. Say, well, no, don't put me down. He would put it that way. Don't depreciate my authority. In my imagination, I can see Titus saying, well, just, just consider this. You know, just, just consider this. And they probably would go right along and, 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 and do it. Because, see, he recognized that their intentions were good. They wanted to keep themselves upright and clean by obeying the law and following the law. See? And then, but uh, no, no, no. Their intentions were, were all right yeah, to, to have the law as a part of what they do. They just didn't have the fullness of it yet. They didn't understand the grace of God yet, which, which, which Titus was bringing to them. Well, my beloved, that's an interesting chapter that we've had a chance to study this morning. Going from the idea of church administration, thinking about Titus, and the good intentions that everybody has, and, and remembering sobriety and self-control in life. I've enjoyed being with you today. I hope you have. Now, this is the second chapter of Titus, and we have one more to go Hope to see you soon. And may the Lord bless you today. Just give you the best day yet ever. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Bye-bye.